Hello everyone. Productivity is of particular interest to farmers who want to maximise the net productivity of their farms. Now, intensive farming, or the practice of intensive farming, is 10 times more productive, some argue, than not. It is designed to maximise the productivity of, say, crop, of meat, of milk, by making use of any appropriate technology. The huge increase in human population over the last few hundred years has been possible due to the development of intensive farming. And most farms in the UK are intensively farmed. Now, there's a handful of techniques that we've used to increase productivity, and they include selective breeding, the use of fertilisers, factory farming, monoculture, mechanisation. But in this podcast, I'd like to focus on pest control. Now, loss of crops to pests decreases the net productivity. So pest control measures are really important. Now, to farmers, a pest is any organism that whether that be animal, plant or microbe, that damages the crop. And pests can be and are responsible for a huge loss in crops worldwide. So all farmers, growers and gardeners need to use some form of pest control or we won't be able to feed the world, quite simply. Now, pest control can be cultural, and that could be things like weeding or use of a scarecrow. It can be chemical, such as the use of a pesticide, or biological therefore using predators and modern practices to combine all three in what we call integrated pest management so i just want to take those kind of three separate ones and then talk about integrated pest management as a a kind of future method so let's take the cultural control of pests now this refers to any farming practice that reduces the problem of pests other than chemical or biological methods so these cultural practices refer to things like weeding where we physically remove the weeds and diseased crop plants to prevent any reinfection. Crop rotation is used, and that's where we change the crops each year to break the life cycle of host-specific pests. There's something called intercropping. Now, that's where you plant two crops in the same field, such as sowing ryegrass with wheat, and that encourages ladybirds to control aphids on the wheat. Tilling is a traditional method of ploughing and turning of the topsoil layer to bury weed seeds and expose insects to predatory birds. There's the use of insect barriers such as sticky bands on apple tree trunks to stop coddling moth caterpillars. And beetle banks. I mean, there's many more, but I'm just going to pick up on this last one. Beetle banks. This is building sort of strips of uncultivated rough ground around and through fields. Now, these strips are breeding grounds for beetles and other invertebrates that may predate the pest and so it keeps their populations under control. But a really effective method of pest control is the use of chemicals. So chemicals that kill pests are what we call pesticides. Now chemical pesticides include things like herbicides or anti-plant chemicals if you like, insecticides which are anti-insect chemicals, fungicides which are antifungals, and bactericides, so they're antibacterial chemicals. Pesticides have been used in in some form or another for over about a thousand years, and modern intensive farming depends completely on the use of them to increase the yield. Now, some wheat crops are treated with as much as 18 to 20 different chemicals to combat a variety of weeds, 
fungi and insects. In addition, by controlling the pests that carry human disease, pesticides, you could argue, have saved millions of human lives. Now, it's really important that when we, we talk about the manufacture of pesticides, that they are not toxic to the things we don't want them to be. So good pesticides must be what we call selectively toxic. Now that means that they will, as you can imagine, kill the target, but not the crop or any other organisms, including us, including humans. Now, early pesticides were non-selective, or another way of putting it is broad spectrum, which means they caused significant harm to the environment. Broad spectrum pesticides could kill uh, useful pollinating insects and pest predators, so it actually caused the pest population to increase. But modern pesticides are much more narrow spectrum or selectively toxic, if you like, which is better for the environment. But as you might be able to figure, it's way more expensive to produce. Ideally, a pesticide would be biodegradable, which means that it's broken down by decomposers in the soil. Again, early pesticides were not easily broken down, so they would persist and they would accumulate in food chains and would harm humans and other animals. But modern pesticides are biodegradable, so they don't leave any kind of residue on the crops, if you like. Different kinds of pesticides are used to control different kinds of pests. So let's look at the insecticides for a moment. Insecticides are the most important group of animal uh, pest controls. So insects are perhaps the most important group of animal pests. So things like aphids, uh, leather jackets, they eat the crop and reduce the yield. Insecticides that we use can be, so there's two methods here, contact or systemic. Contact insecticides remain on the surface of the crop and they would only kill insects that come into contact with it. So then they're not really 100% effective. The systemic insecticides though are absorbed into the crop and they get transported throughout the plant. So any insect feeding on the crop will be killed. Now, one of the most famous insecticides is something called DDT, and it was used really successfully from about the 1940s up to about the 1980s. And it was responsible for eradicating malaria from southern Europe. But the problem with DDT was that it was non-selective and persistent. So it started to accumulate in the food chain and it killed seabirds and other top predators. And about 1970 or so, it was banned in most countries. And bird populations since this day have been able to recover somewhat. Weeds are simply plants that a farmer or gardener doesn't want. Plants like wild oats, uh, cleavers, bindweeds and thistles, they compete with crop plants for light, for water and for minerals and they can therefore reduce crop yields. Weeds can also harbour pests and pathogens that can infect neighbouring crops. So that is why we'd want to use a herbicide or weed killer, if you like. Weeds usually arrive on a farmland by wind dispersed seeds, or they can be sown accidentally with the crop. Now, here's a question. How can a chemical kill some plants, such as weeds, but not others, like the crop? Well, fortunately, cereal crops are narrow-leaved grasses or monocotyledons, whilst most of the weeds uh, that I'm referring to are broadleaved or dicotyledon plants. And they have, so these dicotyledon plants have 
uh, different enzymes in them. So herbicides can be used to target just one group. For example, there's a herbicide called uh, 2,4-D. It's a synthetic plant hormone that causes broad-leaved plants to shoot up and die, but it's got no effect on cereals. There's a hormone uh, that I teach about in plants called IAA, indoloacetic acid. It's um, an auxin, that's A-U-X-I-N, an auxin that causes plant uh, growth. This 2,4-D is very much like that, but it causes excessive growth. It stimulates growth far too quickly, and as a result, as I've said, these broadleaf plants die. Let's talk about fungicides. Fungi are the most important plant pathogens and they'll cause a whole host of diseases like mildew, rusts, black spot and rotting. Now crop seeds are often treated with fungicides before sowing. So there we've got a range of chemical interventions. But let's ask them into biological control of pests. Now as an alternative, and that's what it is, a complete alternative to chemical pest control, we can control pests using living organisms to help keep their numbers down. And it's called biological pest control. Now, the organisms can be predators, they can be parasites, or even just pathogens. And the aim is to reduce the pest population to a level where they don't do much harm. It's what we call the economic threshold. A new equilibrium should be reached where the pest and the predator numbers are both kept low. I mean, obviously, we don't want to introduce there's sufficient cases that you can read about, such as like the cane beetle and the cane toad, uh, where we don't want to introduce a predator, for example, where there, that doesn't itself have a natural predator. And then what we get is just another kind of pest, if you like. So we don't want to introduce a method of biological control where we're not able to actually control their numbers. So what we want is pest and predator numbers relatively low. Now, biological pest control works particularly well when the pest has been introduced to the ecosystem and has no natural predators. An example is the cottony cushion scale insect, which was accidentally introduced to California from Australia in the late 19th century. In California, it multiplied out of control and destroyed large numbers of citrus trees, a major California crop. So the ladybird beetle, one of the scale and insect natural predators, was also introduced from Australia and it quickly reduced the number of scale insects to a safe level. Today, both species coexist in California, but at low population densities. Now, the control species has to be chosen carefully to ensure that it well, follows four really kind of crucial um, or aims or targets, I guess. So it has to attack the pest only and not any other native species. You don't want itself becoming a pest because of a lack of predators or parasites. You want it to be able to survive in a completely new environment. And perhaps to some, most importantly, it does not carry disease. So the control species has to be chosen carefully to ensure that it has or fits those four key descriptors. Control species should be trialled in a, you could say a sort of quarantine area, such as a greenhouse, before being released into the wild. If proper precautions aren't taken, then biological control can lead to, well, I guess we could say, ecological disaster. So I mentioned it earlier, but for example, cane toads, they were introduced to Australia uh, from Hawaii in 1935 to control beetles that feed on sugar cane crops. But the cane toads were poisonous to predators, 
and ate a whole variety of prey, including native marsupials. So they're spreading through Australia, and now they're more of a problem than the original beetles were. Other examples include wasps controlling aphids, cactus moths controlling prickly pears, myxomatosis controlling rabbits, and guppies controlling mosquitoes. So at the start of the podcast, I mentioned something called integrated pest management, and this really is the way forward. It's about using a sort of combination of them all. So modern intensive farming recognises the environmental dangers of kind of unregulated use of pesticides. So it's adopting this IPM, if you like, this integrated pest management, and it tends to bring together all forms of pest management to benefit or to get the benefit from uh, each one. The aim is ultimately to reduce the effect of pesticides on the environment, but without compromising the goal of maximising the crop yield. And now there's four stages and each one, you could say, is more powerful than the one before. So the first thing we could do is identify the pests and their population density at which they cause economic harm or again, the economic threshold. And then we only take action against the pest if its population is above that threshold. We could then use suitable cultural methods to prevent pests reaching their threshold. And if, and only if, the pest population starts to exceed the threshold, we then use biological control to bring it down. So you can see how this IPM kind of works. We're, We're stepping it up bit by bit. Now, if biological control doesn't work, then we use chemical pesticides but at a low and carefully controlled dose and at the best time of year to minimize the damage to any other organisms whilst maximizing the effect on the pest and at each stage the effect of that treatment is evaluated before deciding to proceed to the next stage so there what we're using we're kind of using the best of chemical control and biological control and cultural methods to ultimately increase yield, to increase productivity as part of this intensive farming. Okay, thank you everyone for listening.